Well, um, this is kind of embarrassing, but I'm not exactly ready to preach. I, I saw this billboard uh, and it says, Judgment Day, May 21st, Bible guarantees it. Today's May 22nd. Turned on CNN this morning and they confirmed it. Yeah, the world's still here. So. <laughs> judgment Day, though, is something that's disagreed on by a lot of people. So I wondered what they meant by Judgment Day. So I went to the Family Radio uh, website, familyradio.com, and it turns out what they meant was that on May 21st, they said, would be the rapture. And, and, and then after the rapture, on October 21st, five months later, would be the end of the world. So between May 21st and October 21st would be the tribulation. Well, anyway, let's pray. Lord, uh, I kind of just lied to everybody. I actually did prepare a sermon. And uh, Father, I do pray, though, that you would help us to understand what you mean by tribulation and uh, by rapture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Christians uh, obviously disagree on that date, and yet most American Christians uh, agree or believe that we get raptured before the great tribulation. First Thessalonians 4.17 says that we'll be caught up in the air with Jesus. But you know, rapture isn't even a word that you can find in my Bible. I mean, you can check in yours, but I can't find the word rapture in my Bible. So I looked in the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, and there are two uh, definitions for rapture, two words, uh, ecstasy and joy. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Well, most Americans believe God will rapture them. American Christians believe God will rapture them out of the world before tribulation. They call that the doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture. Several years ago, I wrote a book on the revelation, as some of you know, and in doing so, I, I did a lot of investigation. Now, if you believe in the pre-tribulation, that's cool, whatever, uh, go for it. But I just, I find it rather surprising. I find the idea of a pre-tribulation uh, rapture just really surprising when you realize that, number one, you can't even find it in church history before 1827 in Britain, and then a little later in, in Rome. Some disagree about that, but it's incredibly hard to find. And two, Roman Catholic, Orthodox, and most Protestant denominations re reject the idea. Number three, I can't find it in my Bible like at all. In fact, in John, um, John, the, the guy who received the revelation, in John's gospel, he records that the last promise Jesus gave to his disciples together as a group was in this world, you, you guys, will have tribulation. Matthew 24 even promises the great tribulation. I mean, tribulation greater than the world had ever seen or will ever see since, the great tribulation in that generation. And he refers to it as birth pains. And I think that actually happened in 70 AD when Rome utterly obliterated Jerusalem. But then Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 24, and he says, but of that day and that hour, the end of the age, no one knows. Not even family radio. Well, I just think it's fascinating, though, that in health and wealth, Britain and America, we get so enamored with this idea that God would not allow his followers to suffer tribulation. And then we say stuff like, the Bible guarantees it. You know, according to Brother Andrew, the church in China wouldn't allow many American missionaries to return after the Cultural Revolution after they had suffered persecution. And in fact, the, the Chinese said, you taught us that before tribulation, we'd be raptured. You're liars. Well, I don't know, maybe you've felt tribulated. 
And you wonder, uh, did they lie to me or, or did I do something wrong? You, you felt tribulated and you wonder what's wrong. In, in Greek, the word is thlipsis. Literally, it means a pressing together, a contraction. John 16, his last promise to the guys, Jesus says, in this world, you will have thlipsis, tribulation. And just before that, in John 16, 20, he says, you will be sorrowful. It's a promise. You know, when I have sorrow, I immediately think something's wrong. But maybe something's right. It's a promise. Tribulation and sorrow. What's your sorrow? Man, I just want you to think about that a minute. What's your sorrow? He left. She left. The business failed. The baby died. Or maybe I left. I failed. I killed my baby. What's your sorrow? Think about that. What's your sorrow? Do you got it? I mean, do you have a, a sorrow in your mind? We well, see if I, I, I think that if you, if you really analyze that sorrow, I bet that it would uh, at least be, or it could be, and, and would be summarized by one of these following statements uh, like this. I lost my way. I was on my way and then I lost my way. The way died. The truth died. I was experiencing life and the life died. I was hoping in love and the love was lost. The light went out. The way, the truth, the life, the light the love in flesh died, and I am entirely unable to resurrect it. That's sorrow. In case you haven't noticed, this world is just absolutely saturated with sorrow. What do you do with your sorrow? Sometimes I drink beer and a little too much beer, trying to run from my sorrow. Sometimes I watch movies on TV, kind of hoping that there'd be an attractive woman that would undress a little bit, and I could kind of like escape my sorrow in just like a, a, a moment of rapture. Sometimes I get anxious about things. Sometimes I get angry at someone, pretending I can fix the sorrow with my hard work and my, my good deeds. What do you do with your sorrow? In my better moments, I cry out to God, how long, God? How long? How long? And he, and he always seems to answer, I mean, sometimes through prophetic words, but, but in all sorts of ways, he'll, he'll answer with this little phrase, a little while. A little while. What does a little while mean to I am that I am? Ah, it's frustrating. Well, anyway, these are the last words that Jesus addresses to his disciples before he is delivered up. John 16, verse 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what's this he's saying to us a little while? And you will not see me again a little while and you'll see me and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by little while? We do not know what he's talking about. <laughs> some people think that he's talking about the three days before his resurrection. Some people think that he's talking about the span of those disciples' life, that generation of great tribulation, the span of a lifetime. 
Some people think that he's talking about this age before time as we know it comes to an end. Maybe he's talking about all three. Next verse. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to him, guys, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you'll not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. Anguish. In Greek, the word is phlipsis, normally translated tribulation. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the tribulation for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you in that day. After the sorrow, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Wow! Henceforth, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. It's three years. Double wow. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Anyway, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say uh, to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because, or I think a better translation is probably for, you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all stuff and, and do not need anyone to ask you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, that night they will each run from tribulation. And that night they will each run from tribulation, ter terrified to see it, terrified to go there, to go to the cross, where the way, the truth, the life, the light, the love of God in flesh dies. Great sorrow, great tribulation. You will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, be of good cheer, have courage. I have overcome the world. Tribulation. Flipsis. Like when a woman gives birth. Jesus. Oh. This is messed up. Something's wrong in there. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, granted, gynecology is only a hobby of mine, but it sounds to me like she's crowning. Is that right, Deb? Yeah, that's what it sounds like for everyone. Everyone goes through this. No, I, I disagree with you. That sounds terrible. Uh, I'm going to go sneak a peek, see if there's anything I can do. Hmm. Oh, God! Okay, we're almost home. One, two, You all right, buddy? I'm sick. What do you look like? I shouldn't have gone in there. Don't go in there. Promise me you don't go in there. <laughs> August 27th, 1988. I was playing my guitar on the side of the bed. My wife, Susan, she screamed to me from the bathroom, you keep up that racket, I'll go into labor right here. So I played louder. And then I heard this scream, just this scream, and, and, I, and I ran to the bathroom to find Susan standing over this pool of crimson 
fluid. And she said, Peter, my water broke. But I looked and I realized that's not just water, that's blood. And she was five and a half weeks early. Now, we had just moved to this town. We had only gone to one Lamaze class where all we did was learn people's names, and that wasn't helping at the moment. I, I didn't know where the hospital was. I had to call for directions. I got the directions. I put her in the car, and I drove fast and furious, fulfilling this lifelong dream ever since I was a little boy to drive as fast as possible, and yet I wasn't enjoying it because I didn't know whether my bride would live. I didn't know whether my baby would live. When we got to the hospital in Walnut Creek, California, it, it, it was like a mass unit. Every woman and Walnut Creek was giving birth that night. I mean, it was just crazy. And they put, there was a, the moon or something. Anyway, they put Susan on this gurney in the hallway and then they began to ran, run, a, run a bunch of tests. They, they theorized that her placenta had ripped, that it, was, that it was bleeding, and they wanted to prolong the labor. Uh, that is, even though she was going, they said, they said, we need to prolong this labor, prolong the tribulation. They told us the contractions, the rhythm of labor, work, then rest, work, then rest, work, then rest, that actually prepared the lungs to breathe oxygen in this world of ours. And later I learned that hard labor in delivery actually squeezed the amniotic fluid out of the lungs so that the baby could exhale the fluid of the womb world in order to inhale the oxygen in this world. They wanted to prolong labor. And yet the baby couldn't stay in, in the womb or, or the baby would die and Susan would die. And so they put her in a room with about like eight other, there's Susan right there. They put her in a room with this like, <laughs> like about, <laughs> put her in a room with about eight other screaming. It was like eight or nine or 10, a whole bunch. They were just everywhere. I remember the woman on the gurney next to Susan. And remember, this is my first. The woman on the next to uh, her is, she's just screaming, Allah, 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 like, like that. But, but Susan, when she's in travail and tribulation, she doesn't scream. She turns into Clint Eastwood and, Dirty Harry. I remember at one point she just she just went like this and she pointed at me. She focused her eyes, she clenched her teeth. Then she went like this. She went, come here, punk. So I, I got up really close to her, close to her face, and, and she said, I want drugs. I said, but honey, we, we went to Lamaze class and I paid the $200 already. Remember, you're gonna have babies all natural and like, 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 like the Indians. And she grabbed my collar and she pulled me close and she went, no! So I got her the drugs. <laughs> but the drugs wore off by the time the, the baby came. Susan was in labor for like a whole day. And yet that day seemed like a thousand years. And we kept asking this question of everybody, how much longer, how much longer? And they kept saying, a little while, a little while, a little, how long is a little while? A little while. Finally, after 22 hours, the baby was crowning. He began to crown. Now that's a, that's a fascinating term. Because you remember that Jesus was crowned upon his cross, crowned with thorns. And yet from the perspective of the revelation, John's revelation, that crown is gold. Well, Jesus was crowned upon his cross, and my son was crowning. And so they rushed Susan into the opera room. The doctor room place, it was like just this steel bucket. It looked like from a farm or something, right underneath her, just to catch all the blood and the fluid and the stuff, you know? I mean, they, they cut her, and she kept passing out from exhaustion, the loss of blood and all the pain, and, and they'd wake her up and plead with her, saying, push, 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 just a little more, a little, a little longer. Honestly, I'd never seen a person in that much pain, that much tribulation. I remember thinking distinctly to myself, telling myself, Peter, you better enjoy this baby because this is the only one you're getting. <laughs> There's about a snowball's chance in hell that Susan would ever want to go through this again. The head came out first. You know, that, that's the hard part. And let me say, what a strange place to meet your son. I mean, I mean, really. Here in dust and dirt, oh, here the lilies of his love appear, wrote George Herbert. Here I met Jonathan. 
Jonathan means gift of God. Here in such tribulation. And now this may be the strangest thing of all. I mean, after all that tribulation, all that pain, all that trauma, thinking that we'd never go through this again, the doctor lifts up my son. And Susan, she glances at her son, and this is the very first thing out of her mouth. I'm not lying. And she just looks at him and says, Oh, I want another one. And I look at her, and she's just beaming. I mean, smile. It was like her tribulation had been transformed into rapture. It was like the tribulation never happened. And if it did, it was only a little while. Perhaps little while is little, not because we get a glance at the clock, but because we get a glance at the gift of God. Oh, I want another one, cried Susan but I wasn't so sure. (laughs) But then again, I wasn't the one that had borne eight, nine months of tribulation. I want another one. John 16, Jesus says, guys, guys, it's gonna get tough, but it's like that. It's like that. Tribulation. Well, Susan wasn't the only one that felt the tribulation that day. You should have seen Jonathan. I mean, he was black and blue, had a black eye covered in gunk, and his head had actually been pressed into the shape of a cone by the thlipsis. Imagine what it was like for him. I mean, his entire life had been uh, this weightless jacuzzi bath at 98.6 degrees. Everything that he needed, oxygen, nutrition, everything, was supplied by this incredible hose called the umbilical cord, you know, that we talked about um, uh, last year when we went through John chapter 3. The the umbilical cord, and you know, genetically, the umbilical cord is actually a part of the baby. That part that he must, if he could think, would would think would be most important, the most important part of him, the part that attached him to that womb world. Well, Well, life was comfortable, and it made sense, except for a few things, like, like hands and feet. There's no place to walk in a womb. Uh, there are no toy drawers, to, cars, cars to, to push around with your hands in a womb. No balloons to hold with your hands in a, in a, in a womb and watch them float in, in the air. Things like hands, feet, mouth, lungs are just superfluous in a, in a womb. Kind of like faith, hope, and love seems rather superfluous in this world of ours. Hands, feet, mouth, lungs, and a voice. A a voice that seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere. I mean, he couldn't find the source of the voice in the womb. It was my voice. Like I told you, when Susan was pregnant, I drew a big smiley face on her belly with indelible magic marker, which was interesting later at the doctor. But every night I would talk to the smiley face and I'd say, hey, you in there, can't wait to meet you. You get out of there. Get out of there. Well, imagine what that was like for him when it finally happened, getting out of there. Imagine what birth was like for him, Thalipsis. I mean, his entire world, everything that he knew began to contract upon him, close in upon him. His world literally hated him, literally rejected him. It pushed him down a dark tunnel and into a blinding light. He exhaled one world and inhaled another. And then something or someone took a knife and cut him, that most important part of him, that part that attached him to that womb world. If he could verbalize it, imagine the sorrow. And so he exhaled one world and inhaled the next and exhaled a scream, tribulation, until the nurse placed him in my arms and said, speak to him. He knows your voice. And like I told you, when I spoke, immediately 
he was quiet. Peace. He knew my voice. It's so important to know your father's voice here so that you will rest in his arms there. As tribulation turns to rapture and sorrow turns to joy. Jesus said, guys, guys, it's going to get tough. But it's like that. Someone's getting born. My sister's a nurse down at Porter Hospital. A few years ago, she sent me uh, a list of actual doctor's notations. This is from Dr. Mark McDonald of San Antonio, Texas. He writes, a man comes into the ER and yells, my wife's going to have her baby in the cab. I grabbed my stuff, rushed out to the cab, lifted the lady's dress, and began to take off her underwear. Suddenly, I noticed that there were several cabs. (laughs) And I was in the wrong one. Now, that story has no real deep meaning. (laughs) Other than to say, it's important to know who the mother is and who exactly is being born. And who's being born? Well, Jesus is being born. It's all over Scripture. He's called the firstborn. Firstborn. Quote, firstborn of all creation. Quote, firstborn from the dead. Quote, firstborn of many brethren. Firstborn. His cross is the door. And he makes his body and blood a door for us. Because we also are to be born. In John 3, Jesus said we must be begotten anothen, begotten from above. When the Spirit of Christ, who is seed, enters us as faith by grace, we are begotten from above. And when we die, we are born into the new creation with new bodies, even Christ's body, even as Christ's body. He's the head, born first, and we follow. Even now, the head is sending oxygen to his body. Sending oxygen to his body from another world through his blood. Well, anyway, we're being born, Jesus and us. And who's giving birth? Well, according to Paul in Romans, all creation is like a womb. He writes, all creation groans in birth pains, travail together. All creation is, well, it's all space and time, right? It's the Big Bang. If if we're born out of this creation, well, we must be somehow born out of this space and and time. You, You know, we live on this timeline, right? And Scripture reveals that time comes to an end, or, quote, a a fullness. Perhaps all around that timeline is heaven. That is joy, rapture. The timeline will come to an end, but perhaps the moment a believer dies, they leave the timeline, caught up in eternity, turn around and think to themselves, my goodness, (laughs) that was just a little while, a little time. Perhaps we're born out of time and space, at least as we know space. Our space is called earth. To to, to reject Christ, our, our Father's voice, is to hide ourselves in the depths of the earth. The Bible calls that Hades, or sometimes translated hell. But to surrender to Christ is to be born out of this womb, that that is creation, uh, raptured into eternal joy. Or perhaps eternal rapture and joy invade all space and time, or maybe both from the perspective out of that timeline. Well, anyway, we know this. In the beginning, God made a space in the reality that is himself, right? Because God is reality. He made a space in the reality that is himself called creation. 
like a, like a womb in God. And God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. And God spoke his word like seed into the womb, the womb that we call space and time. And now this womb groans together in travail, Romans 8. And Isaiah 26, 19, the earth will give birth to the dead in a little while. Wow. Anyway, through creation, God gives birth. And check this out. We, the church, part of his creation, we give birth. Revelation 12, go, go read it, check that out. Matthew 12, 49, Jesus says that we are his mother, Christ's mother. Galatians 14, 4, 19, we give birth to Christ in others and even within ourselves. So check this out, we're born with Christ and we give birth to Christ. I mean, dang, that must be a whole lot of tribulating, right? This would be helpful to know, helpful to believe, helpful to understand what all this tribulating is for. True story, years ago, I pulled into the Conoco station near my house. I walked inside, and, and, the, and the young man that I had come to know was standing there um, with his big smile on his face. And all around the gas station were streamers and balloons and cards and, and, and letters and photos. It looks like this incredible party. And, and so I said to him, dude, what happened? And he said, well, man, this is really weird, but like a couple days ago, my wife, she started like having these like really bad cramps deep down in her gut and we didn't know what was going on. So I rushed her to the hospital, just scared to death, not knowing what was going to happen. They examined her and they came out and they said, hey dude, this way he talked, nothing's wrong, everything's right. She's not having some disease, she's having a baby. And she did have a baby. I'm a father. And so I have a party. Now let me say, it's not clear to me how something like that just slips by you. <laughs> but it's a true story. It's not clear how it just slips by you. But it did, and it does. And so Jesus bends down and he whispers to his bride in tribulation, just a little while, sweetheart, just a little longer. You need to understand, you're having a baby. You know, when Susan would cry out in anguish, how long and why? Det detailed theological explanations didn't seem to help. Well, honey, actually, you represent the woman who took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if you hadn't taken that fruit, the pain of labor would not be so severe. That didn't help at all. <laughs> but when I would bend down and whisper in her ear, sweetheart, in just a little while, just think, you'll be holding your baby. That was different. And my voice even reached, reverberated, in the womb to that baby. You know, Jesus is the Father's voice that reverberates through all creation, way, truth, life, love. And Jesus in flesh is our older brother, born into this world of ours and first born out of this world of ours. And just knowing what's happening by faith, even here, even now, sorrow begins to turn into joy. And so do you hear what Jesus is saying to the disciples this night? I, I think it's something like this. Guys, the tribulation has begun. Little brothers, in, in, in a little while you will see me being born from inside this womb. My cross is the way. My death is the door. And again in a little while, and I will return and testify to that truth, for you must pass through the same door. I am the door. I make tribulation the door to rapture. I make sorrow the door to joy. I make death the door to life. If you run from this tribulation, 
you run from the rapture. If you run from the sorrow, you run from the joy. If you hang on to this world, you hang on to death and hell. When my last son Coleman was born, he was born blue and close to death. The cord, that cord which kept him alive in the womb world was wrapped twice around his neck. Think of it, the very thing that kept him alive in the womb world was literally strangling the life out of him in the real world, this world. And the things that seemed superfluous in, in, in the womb world, like a mouth and lungs, they were literally life and joy in this world, the new world. Well, anyway, John 16. Jesus tells his disciples that that night they will all run from tribulation and hang on to this world. Luke records that in the garden, they, quote, sleep for sorrow. They just shut down, and when they wake, they flee. They all flee, but John, John, who's writing this gospel, John, who saw the revelation, John is the first one to come back, back to the cross, where he stands with Jesus' mother and watches, watches the way, the truth, the life, the light, love in flesh, die. As this world rejects him, he's the first to face the sorrow. And do you remember? He's the first to know the joy. First to the tomb, first to believe that the way, the truth, the life, the light, the love rises from the dead, eternal and indestructible. You, you know, Jesus didn't say, your sorrow will be replaced by joy. He said, your sorrow will turn into joy. That means the tribulation is not some accident that needs to be fixed. The sorrow is not simply a problem that you can avoid. This fallen world may be our accident, but it is not God's accident. You see, the tribulation, the sorrow, even the fall, they are all necessary steps in our very creation in the image of God filled with ecstasy, rapture, and joy. Your sorrow turns into joy. Your particular tribulation turns into your particular rapture, just like the absolute worst thing that ever happened, Jesus Christ and him crucified, turns into the absolute best thing that ever happened, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Jesus isn't just talking about his disciples' sorrow. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Not some of the world, not just your little coffee group downstairs eating donuts and coffee, but the world. I've overcome the world. And check this scripture out, uh, Ephesians 1.10. This is the plan for the fullness of time. There's a fullness of time. Then Colossians 1, to unite all things in him, making peace by the blood of his cross. His cross, his cross, which the children of Adam are so terrified to look at. His cross that turns sorrow into joy, guilt into grace, tribulation into rapture, and death into life. But here's the rub. You have to go there with your sorrow with your guilt and watch him die. You have to see the way, the truth, the life, the light, the reason, the love die in this world. We, we, we kill him. We reject him. Humanity kills him. So we must see the way, the truth, the life die in order to see the way, the truth, the life, the light, the love of God rise in us as grace. And that's ecstasy, rapture, unquenchable joy, 
the oxygen of the new creation. Well, if you run from the sorrow, you're trapped in the sorrow. Yet surrendered sorrow turns into joy. Jesus said your sorrow will turn into joy. That's the plot. Jesus is the plot. That's why you go to movies. That's why you, you read books. You know, if you just read the last page of a book or watch the last 10 minutes of the movie, you don't get, get the joy. In order to experience joy at the end of the movie, you must experience sorrow somewhere in the middle. If you run from the sorrow, if you, if you run from the sorrow, I mean, if you leave the theater at that point, if you run from the sorrow, you're stuck in the sorrow. You can't get to the joy except through the sorrow. You see, the sorrow makes a space for joy and then turns into joy. And no one can take your joy from you, for now you know the story. You've become the story. So you can't get to joy except through sorrow. You can't get to rapture except through tribulation. In other words, you can't get to heaven except through Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's the plot. He's the meaning of your life. Your sorrow is watching him die. Watching the world, this world, reject him. Watching the way, the truth, the life, the light, the reason, the love in flesh die. Don't run from it. Don't hide it. Surrender it to Jesus. And watch him die. So you can watch him rise. Die with him. Rise with him. You see, you live in this world of labor, in, in a rhythm of work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. Six days you should work, one you should rest. Work, work and rest, work and rest until your heart is prepared to breathe grace. Pure grace. Hesed, unadulterated, absolutely, absolute un, unquenchable love that is your God. Ecstasy. Rapture. Heaven. Well, perhaps the greatest tribulation I've ever seen since uh, my son John's birth was my dad's death. I, honestly, I, I feared that sorrow all my life. I remember thinking about it as a little boy. I, I feared that sorrow all my life, and so I was tempted to run, and sometimes I did, but I'd come back, and I'd watch, I'd feel, I felt his, his passion, his lungs, his mouth, his hands, his feet, they all gave out, but, but his faith, his hope, his love remained. My father taught me how to die. Jesus is the presence of your father teaching us how to die. In other words, how to be born. So my father exhaled this world and he inhaled the way, the truth, the life, the light, the love, the kingdom of God, and we watched him get born from inside this womb. John 16, Jesus says to the guys, guys, it's gonna get tough, but it's like that. Well, Susan and I had four kids. We got better at tribulation. When our last was born, we threw a, a party in the delivery room, a, tri a tribulation day party, a, a birthday party. Coleman was born on Susan's 34th birthday, and, and afterwards she found a journal. When in high school, she actually prayed this prayer, wrote it down, God, I would like to have four children by my 34th birthday. Isn't that incredible? He was born on her 34th birthday. You can try that prayer with boats, planes, and cars. I don't think it works, but for some reason, that, that one worked. You see, that tells us something. The tribulation was a gift. It's all gift. You know, maybe your tribulation is that this entire message you've been thinking to yourself, you know, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I couldn't have children. I don't have children. 
Well, listen to Isaiah 54. The children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her that is married. Even that sorrow turns into unspeakable joy, perhaps even the greatest joy on the other side of the door. But maybe that's the problem. We have such a hard time conceiving of that ecstasy, that rapture on the other side of the door. But in John 16, I think Jesus is saying, guys, guys, it's going to get rough. But the other side of the door, it's something like this. Anything you want to say, Mom? No, Coleman, I just really want you to come out and I really want to see you. Okay. <laughs> Please, so okay. Get out of there. Get out of there. Get, get, get out of there. Hi, buddy. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the outside. Well, you need some pain in life. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're getting ready for the party, and there's. Coleman's cake it says happy birthday Coleman dinosaur hats it says happy birthday and give birthday mom 34 years old cigars streamers happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear Coleman What are you gonna what are you gonna teach him? I'm gonna teach him how to play cars and ride bikes. Yeah. How to walk. Becky? What are you gonna teach John? What are you gonna teach Coleman how to do? I'm gonna teach him play ponies. You're gonna teach him how to play ponies and what else are you gonna teach him? Um teach him to ride. You're gonna teach him how to pick his nose? Oh good. Anything else? I'm going to teach him to drink water. Oh, that's a good thing, to drink water, yeah. And I'm going to teach him to hold a balloon. <laughs> hold a balloon! That's called post-tribulation rapture. From the night that Jesus was delivered up, he took bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body, broken given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Flesh ripped, body broken, blood shed. What a strange place to meet the gift of God. But here, in dust and ashes, here the lilies of his love appear. And so come to his table. Come to his cross. Come to the door and bring your sorrow. Now I ask you to think of your sorrow. What's your sorrow? Now maybe something that was done to you. It was maybe something that you did to someone else. But you see, here at this table, it doesn't matter. God covers it all with grace. This world is immersed in sorrow, and we are all guilty beyond our ability to even understand. And yet God is grace beyond our ability to understand. And so he showers us with grace and transforms our tribulation into rapture and our sorrow into joy, the oxygen of the kingdom. So, so right now, let's give him your sorrow, okay? So this is what I want you to do. Close your eyes. You're about to come to his table. You're about to come to the door. And, and now, this doesn't mean that you won't feel the sorrow anymore. It doesn't mean that um, immediately it's over. It means that you're giving it to him and you're going you're gonna to say, Jesus, I'll feel it, I'll feel it with, with you. I, I want this to be our sorrow, not my sorrow that I run away with and hold to myself, but, but our sorrow because, Jesus, it, it belongs to you. That's what you're going to say to him. All right, because, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when you feel that sorrow, your feeling is lost. And so that sorrow belongs at his cross. 
And so right now, thinking of that sorrow, I want you to repeat these words after me. And just in your heart, you don't have to say them out loud. You're not proving anything to anybody. You're surrendering your sorrow. Say in your heart after me, in the quiet of your heart, say, Lord Jesus, to you, I surrender my sorrow. And now I bless that sorrow. For you said, it will turn into joy. Thank you, Jesus. You are good. Amen. And so come to the table. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. Dark cups are wine. The light cups are juice. And they're both the love of God poured out for you. And so in the darkness, the night before Jesus is crucified, probably somewhere in the Kidron Valley on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, John hears Jesus say this, your sorrow will turn into joy. And then on the island of Patmos, he sees a new heaven and a new earth, and he hears a voice. In fact, it's the same voice speaking from the throne saying, Look, I make all things new. And the voice didn't kill him. It was his friend Jesus. It was rapture. Well, anyway, as you know, we've been preaching through the Gospel of John. And John 14 through John 16 are what uh, most people refer to as the upper room discourse. And we've been studying them for, I don't know, months, maybe years, I can't remember. But you remember at the start, um, it starts with Peter saying, you know, I'll never leave you, I'll never, and, and Jesus says, Peter, you're gonna fail. And then he says, the next thing he says is, let not your heart be troubled. And now at the end of the discourse, he informs all the disciples they're gonna fail. And then he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You all fail, and I overcome. But I give my overcoming, my victory, to you. That's grace. That's the oxygen of the kingdom. That's what the entire revelation is about, by the way. Everybody fails. That's why we freak out about it. So much tribulation, and we go, how can we handle that? Well, that's the point. We can't. Everybody fails except one, the lamb on the throne. He conquers and those that are with him. So may you be with him. In Jesus' name.